It's the My Michelle Live podcast. My Michelle Live, entertainment review. Roll out the red carpet. Here's Michelle. Welcome to the weekend. It's Memorial Day weekend. Yay. And in our entertainment review today, we are going to be taking on entertainment news, entertainment reviews for movies and uh, television shows that will be coming out this weekend. And today we're going to be taking on the food you eat to celebrate it all. Now, many people will be grilling. They'll be at the grill for Memorial Day. And this weekend boasts national hamburger day yep the cheap meat gets its own holiday go figure there is a mystery behind the history of this ground meat wonder that we all know and we all love to the tune of uh, billions a year so today we're solving some burger mysteries and this is going to be interesting. Where did the burger come from? Uh, why is it called hamburger when it's made from beef? Christopher Carosa is the author of Hamburger Dreams, how classic crime-solving techniques helped crack the case of America's culinary mystery. So we're going to be taking it on today with my new friend, Chris. Hey, Chris, thanks for joining us today. Hey, Michelle, how you doing? I, oh. I love that description, the history of the mystery. There I you go. Thought. Seriously, there's so much we don't know about the burger in general. And yet, if you have traveled the world, there is not one food that is more tied to American culture than the hamburger. No matter where you go or how remote, if they indulge in American food, the first thing that comes to their mind, the first thing they want to serve you is the hamburger, closely followed by the pizza. And oftentimes both, they can mess up. I was, oh, Chris, I was recently in the last couple of years in Indonesia, they don't even have bacon burgers. They have Macon burgers because it's primarily Muslim and it's some kind of fake bacon made with beef. Terrible, absolutely terrible. There's ways you can mess up the burger. But we've actually given the burger a holiday. So what better way than to celebrate with you? Thank you very much. I will add that it's one of the big myths about the hamburger. Americans believe this. Americans believe that the hamburger came from some foreign land, probably Europe. But nobody else no, nobody else believes that. Everyone knows the hamburger is pure American. It's, it's an ironic sort of thing. Okay, so American that we eat 50 billion burgers a year, 50 billion, about three hamburgers a week per person. That's crazy. So we think that, you say that we think that the hamburgers come to us, like maybe the pizza, its origins was Italy and the margarita. Uh, Hamburg, Germany must have somehow infused the hamburger, but this is an American icon by golly. It is, it is. And I can tell you very quickly, the Hamburg, Germany story, is what a lot of people naturally go towards because the city's name is Hamburg. It's called a hamburger. It sounds very plausible, but in the early 1960s, Ray Kroc sent a vice president of McDonald's to Hamburg, Germany to present the mayor of Hamburg a certificate honoring them for inventing the hamburger. The what? mayor accepted the certificate, but said, we didn't do this. It was one of Ray Kroc's publicity stunts that backfired, but ended up working for him. We got news stories out of it 
You say Ray Kroc and the majority of adults know who that is. He's the man who made McDonald's. You say names like Dave Thomas, founder of Wendy's. And we know Dave Thomas and we know part of his story, but we don't know names like Hiram P. Hopkins or the Minchie brothers or Charles Hamburger Charlie. It, and you point out some of these hamburger historians history makers in your book and can I just while we're bringing up famous hamburger names I'm a Seattle girl so a special shout out to Dick Spady of Seattle's favorite no-nonsense burgers Dick's Drive-In it is a Seattle thing you might not understand but there's a lot of names associated with the hamburger Chris why don't we know some of these people from his they're a little bit too early they didn't have good public relations they were gone from the scene by the time the mass media came about, uh. we, and they really don't have anything to do with fast food the way we recognize it today. Understand that hamburgers really were a fast food. They came about in the late 1800s as Americans were going out to festivals, carnivals, shows, horse races, those sort of outdoor activities. They wanted to be able to walk around and eat at the same time. So these food trucks or food vendors, like we see at carnivals today, or like you see in the streets today, emerged and food was delivered that you can eat while you were walking. The hamburger wasn't the first one. The hamburger actually came about much later when all this started, but it was in that same era that was created. And those names that you mentioned are from that era. And not a lot of people remember that. What were some of the first ones? I guess some of the popular sandwiches are sandwiches that you could easily manage in, like deli sandwiches, okay, ham. Okay. Pork sausage <clears throat> was something that the Menchus brothers went with. Uh, precursor to the hot dog. No, it's the hot dog was actually around, too. That's okay, more okay. of a sausage-shaped thing. When I say pork sausage, I'm talking about patties, almost okay. like you would imagine for a breakfast sausage, a flat patty. And that, so a real hamburger. Brothers, <laughs> yeah, it's, that's exactly right. And when the Menchus brothers decided to go into the concessions business, they didn't start out that way. They were actually performers, which was a lot more dangerous and a lot less lucrative than selling food and other sort of carnival concessions. They had to figure out what would differentiate them from their competitors, and that's why they picked pork sausage sandwiches. No one else was selling that. They were able to basically corner the market. The hamburger has claims by many people and many cities will say, yes, we were the first. Uh, I, if I remember right, there's places like Dallas, St. Louis, New Haven, Connecticut, Seymour, Wisconsin, and Hamburg, New York. They all lay claims to being the birthplace of the burger. You're, you're correct. This was, in effect, a spiritual journey. But the... Uh, the easy thing that I did to start with was I used the Sherlock Holmes method of eliminating the impossible. I took all the stories and put them in chronological order. Okay. And then I went to old newspapers and I tried to find the earliest mention of the word hamburger, which was really hard because that's not what they called it in the beginning. I eliminated every story that occurred after the earliest known date that it was recorded in a newspaper. So the earliest date I was able to find was 1893. That doesn't mean that was the earliest. It was only the earliest that I was able to find. And soon after that, it was very prominent in the newspapers for much of the 1890s. So the story of St. Louis, of Athens, Texas, next to Dallas, and of New Haven, Connecticut, 
those are all 1900 or later stories. So they were automatically eliminated. And it really left us with just two stories, both from the year 1885, one in Seymour, Wisconsin, that's Hamburger Charlie, Charles McGreen, and the other from the Erie County Fair outside of Buffalo by two brothers from Ohio, from Akron, Ohio. Actually, at that point, they were from Canton, Ohio. They later moved to Akron. But the Frank and the Charles Menchus. So the Menchus brothers came in to, uh, Erie, to the Erie County Fair. And the first thing I did was I said, okay, which fair occurred first? Well, the Erie County Fair occurred about a month before the Seymour, Wisconsin Fair. Then what I did is I looked into their story and see if there was any independent corroboration for the facts that they issued in their stories. And one of the things I found out was the Charlie Negreen story, the way he told it 45 or 50 years later, could not have happened until 1891 at the earliest. The story that he told couldn't have happened until 1891. That doesn't mean he didn't start selling hamburgers in 1885. It just meant that the particular story couldn't exist until 1891. And the way that I was able to discover that was he gave a very specific order of fairs that he went to go see, that he participated in. And those that order was very relevant to the story. Then the one of those fairs didn't exist until 1891. Boom. So it really leaves the 1885 Menchus Brothers story as the one to focus on. And there, there were any number of, when Frank Menchus told this story to John Kunzak in the 1920s, Kunzak was a circus reporter. Well, actually, he was a newspaper publisher. But as a sideline, he wrote stories as uh, a reporter for circuses. And he was very well known for that. And he interviewed Frank Menchus, not about the hamburger, but about their involvement in circus activities early on. But he, he, Frank gave him a lot of details. And I was able to corroborate those details by going to the newspapers that were printed in 1885 and confirming that what Frank was saying was happening in 1885 actually happened. So it looks like that's probably where it all began. There's no smoking gun, don't get me wrong, but if you're looking for the preponderance of evidence, it surely points to Hamburg, New York, the Erie County, 1885. Outstanding. The bigger story is that it comes from the good old U.S. of A. You don't get much more American than the hamburger. It, it it has had quite an evolution, but it's still an American icon. Yeah, and I will tell you one thing that the first hamburger was not. It was not served on a bun. People think that of a hamburger as being always on a bun. That didn't come till a few years later, early on. And, and actually, there's descriptions in both the San Francisco newspaper story and the Chicago uh, newspaper story in the mid-1890s, describing how these street vendors sold the hamburgers by cutting loaves of bread into a wedge, like almost like a folded pita, except it's not a full pocket, ah. and then putting the hamburgers in between that wedge of bread. Chris, final question. In your research of this American icon that we will be celebrating on National Hamburger Day this weekend, what may have been the weirdest piece of news information that you came across in your research? The weirdest. The weirdest. It has nothing to do with hamburgers. <laughs> it has to do with the 1904 St. Louis World's Fair, which is credited, obviously incorrectly, for coming up with a hamburger and a lot of other foods. 
And, uh, and I, when I was doing the research on all the foods that were listed, none of them really came from the 1904 St. Louis World's Fair, except for one that nobody mentioned. And that was cotton candy. It was called Fairy Floss. And they actually got a patent to create the machine that would spin the cotton candy specifically for the 1904 St. Louis World's Fair. That so, is crazy. Cotton candy, another iconic uh, fair food. I love this. And this has been a lot of fun, Chris. We have an interesting culture here in the U.S. It has been infused with things from all over the world. We take it, we twist it, we make it our own imitation being the most sincerest form of flattery. But there are things that are purely American. And we're celebrating that today in the hamburgers. We celebrate Memorial Day, lots of burgers being flung on the grill and National Hamburger Day. A good time to pick up Hamburger Dreams, how classic crime solving techniques help crack the case of America's greatest culinary mystery. You can find a link at mymichellelive.com. Chris, it's been a delight. Thanks for joining me. Thank you, Michelle. The wait is finally over. Ferociously entertaining, a dazzling escape. It's the My Michelle Live podcast. My, 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 my Michelle Live. As we continue with entertainment news and reviews, uh, in fact, we're going to be looking at Top Gun Maverick and much more today. I want to introduce you to my friend. If you haven't seen him by now on My Michelle Live, well, you're in for a treat. He is the man, <laughs> the myth, the legend, Adam Bull. Pre- Hello, Adam, and welcome to a little review. And I'm going to ask you to join me in sharing in some entertainment news. Are you ready for it? Bring it. Bring it. We're ready to go. Entertainment news. In this week's news, Adam, truth is a little stranger than fiction, apparently. And we may see some of that truth, and I don't know if there's a little fiction involved, in an upcoming movie called My Son Hunter. Yeah, you can imagine what that one's about, I'm sure. Oh, boy. Oh, boy, yes. My Son Hunter, a film that is supposedly exposing alleged corruption in the Biden family. But here's the interesting thing. The movie producer says that Hunter Biden's attorney infiltrated his film set. He said he hasn't recovered from the shock after knowing that Hunter Biden's attorney came on his set in Serbia. He was on set and supposedly secretly recorded and interviewed people pretending to be someone he wasn't on several days to find out what was going on. Again, come on, truth really is stranger than fiction. This stuff, you can't make it up. You can't make it up. And it just begs the question, if that's the case, why? What are you afraid of? It seems like if you're, there's no Bible passage. I'm going to badly butcher it. <clears throat> that basically says, if you don't do the wrong thing, you don't have to worry about hiding it. Now, that's that's a paraphrase. Boom. It's a proverb. Basically, it says, when you walk with God, when you're upright, you don't have to worry about secrets. No, you know? and, and, and even false accusations, because the, the truth wins out in the end. So, that's a weird right. story there. Another big news story, in fact, quite a few, are surrounding Netflix Go figure. So Netflix, um, first of all, 
has fallen more than 7% after data showed its continued loss in the long term. And there's been a lot of speculations about why Netflix has bled subscribers. But some actions that Netflix has taken in the last week and a half has revealed maybe a why. And that is Netflix fired hundreds of employees. But what employees? The woke employees. They fired those who were behind the woke and esoteric filmmaking and publicity. They are unwoking themselves. That's amazing. And that includes... Well, you know what the Bible says? It says, don't be unequally woked. Oh! (laughs) Boom! You've See, been waiting double, all week for that one. That's a dad Bible joke. <laughs> that's a dad. And that's Bible. why I make the big bucks or the medium bucks. I make the medium. The bucks. medium bucks. <laughs> I love it. Don't be unequally woke. That's bad. You got to laugh at it. Well, and I think, in all seriousness, <clears throat> if I can comment on that, here's the thing: regardless of where you're out on the political spectrum, whether you feel like you're as progressive as progressive gets or you're as conservative gets. Honestly, sometimes I just want to be entertained. And sometimes I get annoyed with even Christian themed stuff, which is in line with what I believe because it's so preachy. And I think you could be on the progressive side of things and still just say, can we just have a story do we have to turn everything into a sermon on a bad spiritual day? I don't even like sermons at church because I may not be in a position where I'm ready to receive being challenged on areas that I'm weak or areas that I need to grow. I've, I got to be in the right frame of mind, but at least when I go to church, I know what to expect. Now, I would... when you get bombarded with movies yeah. and TV where everything has a sermon woven into it, it's exhausting. Because it's over the top. Everything, every story, every comic book, everything has a moral to the story. It has something. And that's okay. But does it have to be so polarizing? And as you say, over the top and preachy. No, it doesn't. I feel that way when I go to games and I'm at a soccer match and they have BLM and Antifa signs. It's What does that have to do with the guys on the pitch? Can we just... Just get back right. to right. soccer. So Netflix- well, and I think when it when it comes to entertainment, sometimes all of the woke stuff is also at the expense of a good story. Yeah. So you're right. so busy preaching that you're not even telling a good story. And you and I have talked before during COVID. I rekindled my love of comic books, which I had when I was a kid. And Marvel and DC are tip of the spear right now when it comes to all the woke stuff. But man, you get on the the community chat boards and the forums and people are just like, whatever happened to just telling a superhero story? Now we've got soap operas about same-sex relationships and there's not even, it's not even superhero stuff. And, and it's interesting just to observe how weary people are of of that, even in a realm like, like of the church books. of the woke. And I think something else that maybe we can all agree on at least those who have a a twinge of morality flowing in their veins is leave the kids alone. We've talked about this ad nauseum, leave the kids alone. And interestingly enough, Netflix has canceled two projects 
based on books by critical race theory advocate Kendi. One was an animated show aimed at preschoolers called Anti-Racist Baby. The project was going to be a series of animated musical shorts and such to un- uh, Unracism unra- un- your children, your infants, because they come out of the womb. If they come out white, they're not right, at, according to critical race theory. So people are tired yeah. of this, and Netflix is going, oh, okay, there's a reason why we're bleeding subscribers. So that's actually big news. That is pretty big news. And that they're making those decisions based on data, and they have, no pun intended, they woke up. Right. So to it's say, better to be awake than than woke. We'll, yeah, we'll say like, oh, Disney. We're producing all this content and the data tells us people aren't interested in it. What about they Disney? Fire all those people if they didn't have the data to back it up. Disney. Are <laughs> they starting to go, oh, oops, because they made some changes at the top and it's somewhere along the line. They're going to realize this isn't really working for them. And we have the. Uh, pretty good test case coming up in about three weeks. I think it's either two or three weeks that Lightyear comes out. And this is like the origin story for the real Buzz Lightyear, not the toy. And I think, what a great concept, right? We're going to get the real Lightyear. Disney has gone on record as saying they put a gay kiss in after all of the kerfuffle in Florida. And how many people who loved Toy Story walked out and thought, man, this story would be so much better if we just some gay kisses in it. I think it's going to be an interesting case study in where is the line at which people say enough is enough. I'm not even interested in it. And I got an invite from our screening company saying, bring your kids. I'm like, I don't want to bring my kids because I know what's in it. But I don't think that's the reaction Disney's going for. No, because we just want to say, leave the kids alone. They don't have yeah. to be involved in that. Leave it for another time. And in our final news story, that opens up a plethora of other opportunities. Angel Studio CEO Neil Harmon told a live stream audience during Illuminate 22 that more than a dozen new family-friendly projects are on the horizon. A hundred million in new family content, including chosen three so there's some news out there things they are changing you can't just make an assumption that the world is woke because it's better to be awake than to be woke so there you go shall we get into some movie reviews my friend we should yes we should all right i saw it this week and i'm excited about it that is uh top gun maverick 2 have you seen it i have yeah okay it's you want to play the trailer Yes, I I do. I just, I thought perhaps you could set it up first. You've got basically Tom Cruise, whose deal with the devil apparently isn't up yet because dude looks like he hasn't aged a day in 36 years. Okay, I'm exaggerating and I'm being silly. <laughs> but it's, it's Maverick, right? It's Pete Mitchell and he's got a few lines on his face, but he's still got that megawatt smile. He's still the Maverick we know. The short version is the Navy needs a trainer to train a new group of hotshot pilots for a very dangerous, practically impossible mission. And one of those pilots is the son of his late friend Goose. Here we go. Of course, holds Maverick responsible. 
All right. Sorry about that. The trailer wants no to go. It's it's like Maverick. It's raring and ready to go. Let's take a little watch at this. Yeah. In three, two, <clears throat> one. What do we have here? Yeah, here I thought we were special. Fellas, this here's Bagman. Hangman. Whatever. What the hell kind of mission is this? Everyone here is the best there is. Who the hell are they gonna get to teach us? I wonder. <laughs> Captain Pete Maverick Mitchell. Let me be perfectly blunt. You are not my first choice. You were here at the request of Admiral Kazansky, AKA Iceman. Iceman. He seems to think that you have something left to offer the Navy. What that is, I can't imagine. Lots of, lots of uh, memories in this. With all due respect, sir, I'm not a teacher. Just want to manage expectations. <laughs> what the hell? Good morning, aviators. This is your captain speaking. There you go. This actually, I saw it this week on Monday, and I'm going to tell you, I loved it. It no, is. No, ev- it's it's a movie that we don't make anymore. It is unabashedly pro-American. No apologies. It's a throwback <laughs> movie, and if there it's was a woke sequel stuff done in right, there, I missed it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, and I would say it's a sequel done right. I yeah. absolutely loved it. There was everything in it was uh, suspenseful. Things were happening, uplifting. Uh, yeah. Relationships were important. There there are some elements for families that you may have to be aware yeah. of. Sneaking out the, he, he's sneaking out the window of a woman. And uh, so that their daughter doesn't see that they've been in the bedroom alone. But they don't show anything and they don't. No, and if you think back to Top Gun, the original, the love scene in the original in 1986 with Kelly McGillis is erotic it's a very sensual scene and this was more old school kind of they go in the bedroom and the door closes and we know what happened and they don't they don't feel compelled to show it and i'm like wow restraint imagine how did that happen (laughs) yeah i enjoyed it front to back i enjoyed the relationships and the the healing of a relationship between Maverick and the son of Goose, who yeah. is known as Rooster. I enjoyed yeah. that. And watching that, the the angst and uh, the anger uh, meld more into a surrogate father-son relationship. Yeah. There was yeah. funny elements. I laughed out loud. The audience loved it. Everything that we've been talking about up to this point of can we just get politics out of it. Now, while it is unapologetically American, it's not preachy in that at all. No, it's not. No, it it isn't. And I I thought this feels like an old-fashioned movie. We have a movie star. We have heroes. They're flawed. Maverick is a flawed character, right? But we love him. And... Miles Teller's character is pretty interesting. We can understand where he's coming from. He's got a chip on his shoulder. And Maverick has the wisdom to try to 
navigate that and and there's some turbulence in that but 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 yeah why can't hollywood do more i hope the thing makes 300 million dollars yeah i really hope now having said that because that's pretty glowing from the plugged in guy we got about 25 profanities there's one f-bomb about 20 s-words so content wise i think language is probably the biggest issue and there's two ways to look at that i can look at it and say you probably don't want to take your nine or 10 year old. It's a PG 13 movie for a reason. I can also look at it and compare it to most PG 13 <laughs> movies that I see and say, you know what? It has a lot less content than those. Oh, for which crying is out a, loud. That's a relative comparison. I'm going to, I'm going to say it has less content than going to the, the park and throwing a baseball and <laughs> other people walking around or going to a restaurant these days. Yep. Um, so that's where something you have to navigate with your family. They're going to hear it. It's out there. That That's kind right. of language. That's How right. do you and, nav- and I, But I, I felt like there was a heroic effort to restrain the content while giving us a reality, a feel-good feel story. And that's the other thing is it. we have so many downer stories, right? And let's just have a nice <clears throat> movie. It felt like an old-fashioned movie. To me, let's though. marry that to, to I, I had a big movie weekend. <clears throat> I saw Doctor Strange. And yeah. the strange multiverse. And while I did like the film, it was very dark. And it went to very dark, really? very dark places. It, Wanda from WandaVision is, is in it as the Scarlet Witch. And it is very dark. Though yeah. they did it in an almost relatable way. She won't, doesn't mind destroying every multiverse out there as long as she can be with her kids. Uh, as a mother, you're going... Yeah, I could see that. <laughs> well, yeah, I could and, see and that. Scarlet Witch has died three times in the comics. And I guess I don't want to spoil it, but it's <clears throat> one gets the sense that maybe her story is not done yet. And, but what we see here is indeed very dark. And I read it, it was interesting. Sam Raimi, the director, didn't actually watch WandaVision. And so if you feel like, oh, her character feels pretty different and maybe more evil than she did in WandaVision. That's one reason. And the other reason is don't mess with dark magic, right? When you get involved with the dark hold, which we know is ultimately evil incarnate, it's going to corrupt you. So I, I think there is a redemptive message in there somewhere, but man, you got to wait through a lot of stuff. You to get do. To it. And there is a redemptive message and that she in the end makes a sacrificial choice in order to make things right. And that part I did truly enjoy. You saw that with Dr. Strange as well, becoming less selfish and controlling and become, and the way, the only way through all the multiverses is to probably is to lay that down and to have faith in others. So there are some good, some very good elements, but as I marry that with Top Gun, I walked away from Top Gun just feeling good. And that was fun. There wasn't, the biggest problem with Top Gun is you watch, you walk out and you want to drive 100 miles an hour on the freeway because you just, True it just revs you up. You're, you feel it's such a feel good movie. It, it's a high octane movie. And I'll, I'll also say, just from a movie making standpoint, man, I know there was CGI involved at places, but holy cow, it looked realistic. Yeah, it did. You know? and, uh, and apparently, you know, Tom. For those Tom Cruise who... actually asked the Navy if he could learn to fly an F-18, and they said no. Because <laughs> he does like to do his own stunts. This he is does true. his own stunts. I mean, he had, in one of the Mission Impossible movies, he not only flew the helicopter, but he operated all of the camera stuff 
while doing the helicopter scenes in a canyon. I'm going to say crazy. this for the record. Tom Cruise, as a person, is a bit wacky, okay? And the whole Scientology thing, really weird. But that there, he bar none, he is one of the best actors ever. Yep. Just yep. he he is a fabulous actor in everything. And my wife he's and I watched Edge of Tomorrow with Emily Blunt about a week ago, <clears throat> and it's a Groundhog Day meets Alien Invasion, and they live the same thing over and yes, over again. I've and, seen that, and and I just was watching. I'm like, how can you not this guy on film? Yeah, you know. He's so good. That's a, a very entertaining movie as well. One other, a couple other things that I wanted to get into. Obi-Wan Kenobi is on the precipice here. Should we yes. watch a little bit of the trailer? Let's watch a little bit of the trailer. Right, let's watch a little bit of a commercial. For, of an sorry ad, about ad that. for there somebody's guts who aren't working. <laughs> it's been 10 years. The fight is done. <laughs> We lost. Leave us alone, Ben. When the time comes, he must be trained. Like you trained his father. It's my responsibility. Obi-Wan. Obi-Wan. I loved you always. There's a thing that swallows you. It holds you together while it's tearing you apart. It's terrifying. Okay, so a little bit of the Obi-Wan story. I hope this works. That's the main thing I have to say. I haven't seen it yet. Star Wars has thrilled me and disappointed me in equal measure to the point where I now look at every new Star Wars thing and my response is, we'll see. But Fair I enough. sure like you and McGregor. <clears throat> the trailer looks phenomenal. I will probably stay up till midnight tonight to watch it. As soon as I can, since Disney, it's big enough that Disney didn't give at least the likes of Plugged In a screener. I have seen Stranger Things, so we can talk about that in just a minute, too. Or the first episode, I should say. But we're going to be doing a podcast on Obi-Wan Kenobi. And so I've been reflecting on what is it that makes Star Wars a story that endures? Because the movie came out 45 years ago <clears throat> in pop culture time. That's like a thousand years. And this thing is as strong as it's ever been. Now, obviously it's that way because there are millions and hundreds of millions of dollars of production and marketing. So I'm not naive, but there's something about the core story of redemption, of yearning, of good versus evil that resonates in a way that say, Avatar is the biggest movie of all time. Can you name a single character in Avatar? I can't. You're right. You're right. And so what's the difference? Like people may go out to see a spectacle, but Star Wars <clears> has shaped our culture for better or worse. And, and I think there's some of both, but there's something about the core story that absolutely continues to pull people into it. I, and I think that's pretty interesting. And it's not without problems. We've got violence. We've got the force, which is a mishmash of pseudo Eastern ish spirituality but i think most families would say uh, and i'm generalizing star wars is navigable we don't think oh star wars that's going to be out of bounds hopefully they don't wokeify it too much as we've been talking but anyway those are uh, i'm i'm just uh, verbally gushing here about about star wars and thinking about it there's a universal story that they've they there has been an an idea that there 
is in every narrative, even down to the narrative of the gospel. It's yep. a perfect condition, a, you know, life as you know it, then something bad happens, a hero must arise, and there's a hero's journey, and yep. then there's redemption, and then the world can either return to normal or, or just a little bit changed or a little bit better. And it really is interesting that there is consistency in the universe. That story is the heart of the gospel message that yeah. has changed our lives with its yep. biblical truth. But it's also at the heart, and you can see it at, with Star Wars. You can see it with uh, Harry Potter. You can see it in every good story. Right. It's there. We'll see, and we'll report our findings next week on Obi-Wan Kenobi. Finally, we're almost out of time, but it's a big deal. It's very popular, Stranger Things, and now the fourth season, your thoughts. Oh, man, I'm not sure anything leaves me quite as conflicted as Stranger Things because I think it's very well done and I have very much enjoyed the series. And I think that it works because of the characters. There's a battle with this dark supernatural evil that we're still getting revelations of what it actually is. And, and it's in the process of morphing into something else this time around. And there are spots in which this season feels straight up demonic. Oh, and wow. It really is. <laughs> oh, my gosh. It really is in hardcore <clears throat> horror territory. The end of the first episode left my jaw on the floor and in it because of the level of darkness. And yet I love the characters and I want to see what's happening to them. There is a same-sex attracted character who was introduced, I believe, last season and already in the first episode, because been a it's lot required of now. It's not even. It's not even a. Is it part of the story? It's required now. We must be indoctrinated. Yep. And so, it feels more woke <clears throat> in that sense than any of the previous seasons. I'm gonna choose to put that aside and probably watch as many of the episodes as I can today because we're doing a podcast on it tomorrow at the Plugged In Show, which will air next week. Um, but I, there. It's a weird thing because there certainly is a battle of good versus evil. And there's also this idea that there is a spiritual evil. And so, again, I can choose to make parallels to the Christian story, but God's not really a part of the Stranger Things universe. Like he's conspicuously absent, even though we get a spiritual story of good versus evil. So there are parallels that I can draw, but but the worldview has some pretty big problems, too. So. Yeah. I have to be able to tell the truth. About and let's that. just marry that with the real world. Uh, in the real world, without God, your worldview has a lot of problems and a lot of holes. Yep. You can see it. It plays <laughs> out in movies. It just doesn't line up. And how that gives you an opportunity to look at a biblical worldview and go, what? Wow. So how the how other thing that's a little bit off-putting is that all of the characters are like six inches taller and they all look like young adults now. And they all look, with a couple of exceptions, like they should be in indie rock bands. And it's like between Karate Kid 1 and Karate Kid 2, Ralph Macchio grew like six inches. It's been three years since the last the last season. See, COVID, I can't think of basic words. So that was a little strange. I'm like, wow, 
these kids are really growing. And it's not bad. Obviously, kids grow up, but you can really tell this time around. We're going to be looking at some aftermath of maybe Stranger Things, definitely Obi-Wan and other things as we do entertainment review every single week. Same bat time, same bat station. Thank you for liking, sharing, and being part of the fun. It's always a pleasure. Thanks, Adam. More entertainment at mymichellelive.com.